Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Wouldn't it feel great to know that this year your firm is going to earn at least 20% profit? Of course it would. So I'm inviting you to a free live webinar that I'm hosting on Tuesday, January 22nd, 2018. It's called the Entree Architect Profit Checklist. And during our time together, I'll show you the six essential elements of a proven financial management system for small firm architects. It's not too late to prepare your firm for profit this year. Register now at entrearchitect.com slash free webinar. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 253. And this week I'm with architect Tabitha Ponte of Ponte Health, and she's building a new healthcare system from scratch. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work that you love. And RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specification, and so much more. Find what you need fast at RCAT.com. Tabitha Ponte, welcome back. To Entree Architect podcast. Thank you, sir. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's this is going to be a fun one. People have been <laughs> asking for this one because you were here with us back in October of 2017, episode 189, where you sort of um, 
the phoenix rising from the ashes told us the story of, of <laughs> Tabitha Ponte sort of uh, rebuilding her life, rebuilding her career, uh, and launching Ponte Health. And it was very early on when you, when you sort of shared what you were doing and what your plans were. Um, and there is so much that has happened since then. Uh, yes. You sort of give us, give us little tidbits every once in a while over at the Facebook group. Uh, you always share your knowledge over there, so thank you for doing that. Um, but, you know, when I asked for uh, suggestions in the, in the Facebook group uh, about two weeks ago, a bunch of people said they wanted to hear an update on, on Tabitha Ponte. So here That's, you are. Well, thank you, everybody, for wanting to hear an update. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, it looks exciting from the outside, and I know it's it's hard, and I know there's downsides, and there's 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 a bunch of garbage that comes with the 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 fun stuff that we're seeing. But um, I I want to hear everything that you're willing to share. So um, let me just introduce you to anybody who doesn't know who you are. Uh, Tabitha Ponte is the CEO and lead architect at Ponte Health. It's a Florida-based architecture and construction services firm, exclusively serving the healthcare market. That's all she does. She built it that way, and she's growing this market. Uh, Ponte Health specializes in single-source delivery and resource management. Uh, she's basically building an architecture from from scratch, an architecture firm from scratch, while she's building the cities of the future. That's basically what she's doing, and uh, and so you can go back to episode one eighty nine, uh, entrearchitect.com slash episode one eight nine to sort of her hear her her early years and where she came from and what inspired her to become an architect, that origin story, all the way through to the beginning of Ponte Health. Um, but today I want to hear the rest of the story. I want you to sort of um, give us a brief uh, reminder of how Ponte Health came about, where you were and why you sort of launched it, and then what, what have you been doing for the past couple of years to do what you're doing today. So why don't we sort of jump back to the beginning and hear a little bit about that. Okay, so Ponta Health really started because of my own personal experiences in our current healthcare system. So I had a couple of events that were pretty radical, life-changing events, sort of nearly dying. And the second was a little bit of a last straw. So I had a stroke at 35. That has a lot to do with my founding of this company because um, through that particular event where I spent about five days in a neurological wing in a hospital, I found that it was very inappropriate in terms of the setting for mm -hmm. a stroke recovery. Um, so everything from the very little that I saw the doctors to the way the building was completely inanimate and unhelpful to my anxieties and stresses as the patient just everything was wrong. And you could call it, I mean, I don't know if, if I would call it enlightenment, <laughs> but, uh, but I kept thinking to myself, if I survived, that I would make my work or my life's work actually change that experience that I had. So to focus on the patient experience through sort of the advancement of healthcare facilities and alongside that advancement, the advancement of the care itself or or all the sort of intricate activity within those healthcare, uh, healthcare facilities. So I should I should point out the Ponte Health is not just about the infrastructure, but that is the means to the end. 
and that the end is a more complex or more integrated sort of advancement of the environment of the patient and then everybody that is sort of a stakeholder in that process. So you're not just talking about designing hospitals or, or medical centers and then building them and then handing them off to somebody else. You're, you're talking about redesigning the entire system from scratch. Correct. It's, it's sort of like real estate is our, our means to the end, but the end is this more whole, I don't want to call it, I mean, holistic is the right word, but it's this more sort of integral and complete patient experience process that's about actually assisting, assisting rather than this alienation and ignorance that I experienced as a stroke recovery patient. So, you know, it felt like I didn't see the physicians enough. It felt like I didn't have enough answers. It felt like the building could have been helping, but was not. Uh, so, so there was a lot of sort of misses and Ponta Health started around filling those voids. So Ponta Health is as much a um, technology company as it is a real estate company, as it is a design firm and an innovation firm. I mentioned this in episode 189 that I see us in a very deep sort of research um, base or environment. And, and I also mentioned that I would eventually become a health system I didn't know what that meant during episode 189, but, uh, but I kind of see, I mean, we, we've seen it, um, during the past year and a half or so, and it's become a really big portion of my day-to-day work. Like we still function as a, a developer because I should state that when we talked, I was serving people as a, as an architect and as a construction manager and stuff like that. And we've, let that pass a little bit and now we serve people and and we do have clients but as extension developers so it's it's a more um complete sort of service where we take them from from the hand even before the property acquisition all and we do and we do for them all the way through to just giving them keys let's let's walk us through that what so what 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 is the current status the current the current status of Ponte Health. What what are you doing from beginning to end? Sort of walk us through a typical project that you're you're working on. So you literally you can call us a developer. I mean, I yep. want people to understand that I may be a licensed architect, and I may have a DC license in Chicago and all these things and, and construction safety background and government background. But we are a healthcare developer. That is what we do. Um, we do two types of development very specifically. We do, uh, I'm sorry, I should say three. So the three types of development are development for physicians and physician groups. So a doctor can literally call me while they're still in practice and say, I need a building or I want a building. How do I do this? You know, would you help me do this? Um, we are a developer for investment. So we develop for people that solely are looking to create an income. Um, so those people generally want are foreign nationals, you know, they, they may want to put in money and create a passive income through rents. So we do that kind of development, but still healthcare and focused. It's still only healthcare. Yep. Um, but the, 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 with that particular healthcare focus is sort of like a small office, medical office type setting. So a small medical plaza, medical office. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we do the third more large kind like vertical medical city where we're developing to be operator 
So in the case of Vertical Medical City, we own the building. We're part architect, though not whole architect. I should point out um, I've partnered with, um, maybe I shouldn't say it by will, uh, will <laughs> but with Jacobs um, as architect of record. Um, and we are owner and we're operator. So, in, and I'll get a little bit more into the complexity of Vertical Medical City and how that even came about, but um, that's where that system, that future yeah. view of a system came. So are you building Vertical Medical City as sort of the model of what could be? Um, yes. Um, and, and I hear from people, the, the more I talk about Vertical Medical City with sort of care providers and physicians and things, I hear from people that is, is very much going to disrupt healthcare at large, mm-hmm. uh, with the way that we're doing it. So the, the, here's, here's the thing. People think of, well, first of all, people currently treat medical facilities as a building that everybody just visits, but futurists and futurists in healthcare know that the future of healthcare is sort of remote or at least some say at home, but see, I'm sort of in disagreement of both. Right. So I think you will always have your medical facility you have to go to, especially for acute and surgical type setting. Um, Like, I don't think you can recover from a stroke in your house. Um, But but I believe that that what we're doing with Vertical Medical City is to prove that it's more seamless in your life. And And it's a very specific market that we're targeting because you may have seen that. Vertical Medical City is specifically for aging in place. So we're looking at 65 and over. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the story of that. So it's, 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 it may be very disruptive to the industry at large, but not from the, yes, from the building side, but it's, it's more holistic than that. It, it's literally a medical city. So there's this medical city trend, okay, that started with Texas. And I'll give you a little bit of, of a, a backdrop of that. So there's the Texas medical city that everybody knows. It's very much the current system that we know where you just go to some campus um, as you would in university or some other major campus and you're sort of driving around and having difficulty with parking and walking 20 million miles and all these things. Then there is a, a slight advancement of that, which is Lake Nona Medical City here, in where Florida. I had my office previously. Yeah. So that medical city, it's the reason they call themselves that it was sort of an urban organization around medical facilities. So it's an improvement, right? We're now they're instituting residential into medical campus that is more than one system. So it's almost like an urbanist or an urbanism position and then there's what we think should be a medical city where you live here but you're now resolving problems that have been created by those two which are like transportation problems and infrastructure problems and mobility problems especially with the aging so you know like for us sure it sounds dumb vertical medical city like that i gave it the name vertical but the point is we completely shrunk the footprint to go as vertical as we could so uh in and that had a reason and the reason was uh beyond the height but for improving or helping with one of the biggest problems that i've seen with my clients 
okay, like healthcare clients, yeah. where their patients have to walk too far to do everything. And when you're talking about an 80-year-old and a walker, right. that person should not have to walk 500 feet to an elevator. So that problem was sort of the first resolve with Vertical Medical City. Right. Make the footprint as small as possible so yeah. the number of footprints are reduced. Footsteps. Yes. yes. Yep. So, but, but, so... So that's where we've been with these these sort of three lines of development, and and I'll expand on vertical medical city a little bit, but I'll let you walk me through that <laughs> rather than me sit here and tell you for forty minutes <laughs> where we're going with it. Um, well, I, I think you should keep going. I, I think because it's interesting. As long as it's interesting, because I, I want to know more. Because I don't know I don't know anything. All I know is what you've shared. Okay, um, so and so I don't, I don't even, before we, you started describing what me, vertical medical city was just now, I didn't know what vertical medical city was. Um, yeah. And so let's assume that everybody who's listening doesn't know other than, you know, listening to the title of it and saying, well, it's probably a vertical medical city. Yeah, um, literally that's what it is. <laughs> but you're, but you're, you're using this as a way to sort of redesign and reinvent medical care. Correct. And because the current medical system is so messed up. We're not. Let's not even get into the the the, the mess of and why it's why it's a mess, um, but but it is a mess, and I think it's an evolution. We've gotten here because it's been an evolution, and that there's a lot of money involved, and you know there are ways to do things because that's the way the people who are making the most money are being yes are making that's it. exactly what's happening. I mean, pharma, yeah, right, uh, the insurance companies. I mean, these people really are the drivers. But the, the, the thing is that, that uh, well, people forget that the people is the driver, uh, but they no, don't know what they need. They're just being told that like, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, and you're going to pay this. Um, I'll give you an example. I went to uh, – I had a stroke scare only about, I want to say, like five months ago again, where because I had the first one, I was really worried about this one, and I was actually working in construction on the one of my clients at the time of design – and I literally got off a roof working construction and into the ER. Like I got off the roof and walked into the ER. And they kept me overnight. And at the time, I had no insurance because, um, you know, insurance is costly, especially um, when you have six, five, six people in your household. Yeah, you're so, a startup. Yes, I didn't have insurance. And I just got the bill of the insurance-less overnight scare with the tests. And it was, and I was really blown away. I mean, I, I keep hearing people saying that this year that, that transparency is going to come about. I doubt it. But uh, $40,000 practically for my staying overnight and getting a couple of tests done and getting a couple of pills. It's yeah. just Insane. crazy. Insane. Right? So, so Vertical Medical City, it really started as a, as a design exercise for my team. And I'm not, no joke. Yeah. Uh, it didn't even have a name at the time. So I'll, I'll give you the way it developed. So we, I, I decided, I decided that I wanted to create an exercise where we could all be a part of because it was com like complex enough and rich enough that we could be a part of as a design team. Um, and it started uh, with my design guys and eventually I got involved and we spent a lot of time on Vertical Medical City nameless, like nameless and purposeless, right? And so, because it wasn't real. It was an exercise. Yes. It was just a conceptual. How, how, how many people are in your firm now? Because I know when we last time we spoke, it was basically just you and you were about to start growing. 
So how yeah, big are you now? Um, between external and internal, we're probably about 12 people Okay. today. Yeah. Um, in mo, I mean, most of them internal, but I, you know, some external, um, parties that I keep that are higher, uh, ranked in either brokers or financial people and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that doesn't account for attorneys or <laughs> anything like that. Just right. so your, your team is about a dozen people. Yeah. 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 So we, um, we, we started as a conceptual exercise. I said, let's design a medical high rise. Um, I already knew of the walking problem, of the tra- of the sort of v- horizontal transverse problem that people have. So that I so it, I already had that in my mind, and that is why we went small footprint, high rise. So the starting point of Vertical Medical City was actually Chicago on a particular property in Chicago that was on the river, you know, kind of downtown, but it was a property owned currently by the newspaper and. And I said, let's design something overpassing the 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 bridge um, on two split like a split property, th- three towers, and let's go to seventy two stories. That's sort of what what I wanted or what I envisioned. And we spent months. I mean, months. That's in three four months. But because they there was such time spent in the conceptual design process of this thing, it came to be very good. At least in my eyes, it became very good. And right, from because the, you were you were designing it, designing it as if there were no barriers, if there was nothing standing right. in our way, what right. would this thing be? There was no right. budget. There was no no yes. client telling you that you have a deadline. It was just it was like an architecture <laughs> school project. Yes, yes, just design. Yeah, and and it it really became good. Like, or at least I thought what I think is good, um, and. You know, that's always very personal to people. It was a very nice blend of contemporary with, with old, um, very monumental type. And there's some renderings out and about floating. I have them on, on our wall in the, in the lobby. And and eventually I thought to myself, well, why can't we build this, right? So, but before I get there, I decide to unveil the design. And this is really because of the design exercise, because uh, we're an architect-led firm. So I I decide to do a a sort of an unveiling with a group of people that came to see us in an event that we host every year in January, actually. And it's coming up in about two and a half weeks uh, for us for the second time. Um, So at that point, I had already identified the name as Vertical Medical City without still having a specialty or a focus on it or anything like that. And I had registered the name because I knew I wanted to do something with that. And so I unveiled it as Vertical Medical City. And the the reaction was pretty stunning, but particularly from one guy. So I wish I remembered this guy's name, but, but, but he had a lot to do with what it is now. So, so this guy stands up sort of, you know, making waves and, and just like, I have to say something. And, and he says, I'm a journalist. I, can't rem- I wish I remembered his name. And he says, my father needs that. And he needs it now. And he has Alzheimer's. And I thought to myself, wow, somebody, I mean, beyond a design exercise, this person was Ottoman and and he just he was strong willed he was like my father needs this today right like yesterday and he has Alzheimer's and I thought to myself okay 
So the way that he did that, the, the, how strong he was about it and how determined he was that his father needed it, you know, how strong he was. I just, I, I spent about a week doing research after that uh, onto uh, memory care and the trends and the aging condition. And so stuff be, like. before you, you, you revealed it, was it still sort of an exercise and you were revealing yes. it sort of to get some press and not yes. really, maybe someday this will happen, but let's see what happens. Let's get out there and get the, get yes. our name out there. And then That's somebody perfect. sort of lit a fire under you. Yes, that literally is how it happened. Yeah, and it gave you a sense of urgency from that point forward. Well, that that guy did. Yes. Yeah. And when I looked at the statistics, I was very uh, overwhelmed as to what I found with regards to the the tsunami, uh, the silver tsunami they call it yeah. that is coming. So the baby boomers, okay, that are that it's a trend rising. It, I think it's more severe than people can imagine uh, because it's baby boomers in the U.S., but the U.S., from my research, happens to be like fifth in the world. It's it's that radical that it's a, it's a global problem that is beyond measure. So I'll give you a very uh, small sample of the statistics. So by 2050, okay, so that's only 20 years, 30 years from now, yeah. over 20. 1%, close to a quarter of the population, are going to be over the age of 65. Wow. So that is huge. And that is the world's population. Yeah. That is not the U.S. That is the whole planet. So the more I read these statistics and, and everything about Medicare and Medicaid, I just I got really deep into things like, for example, that women have more longevity to men by over 10 years. But Medicare and Medicaid were not designed to care for the longevity of those women. They were designed for critical illness and not for chronic illness. Right. Like there, there are some things that just stood out that I'm just like, I have to do something about this. So that's where after about a week of research, just basic statistical research, I we decided that vertical medical city was an aging in place condition um, that it, that we were going to have outpatients, that we were going to have residents, that it was going to be an ALF and memory care, that it was going to come with half a million square feet plus of outpatient medical services, that it was going to come with research and diagnostics on property and you name it, it's coming. So, and, it, and, and it's in Florida. It's in, it, the first one's in Orlando. In, yeah, okay. So even though the concept started in Chicago, because I'm in Orlando, I decided to take this. The first thing I did was go to the mayor's office. <laughs> like, I actually walked into one of the directors at the, at the mayor's office and said, listen, I want to I have this project called Vertical Medical City. This is what I want to do with it. I want aging in place. I want to do an ALF. I want to bring it downtown. I want to get the platinum. I want to do this. And he was just so ecstatic uh, because for a downtown condition, that project is a two to three billion dollar influx to the economy. Yeah. Um, so to, to give you like the, the short version of, of the sizing of it. So the vertical medical city, Orlando is two million square feet of construction. So it is three towers. Um, and we just, so it's similar to where we started, but it's evolved in that 
we had to go through an FAA process. We were approved to become the tallest building downtown so far. So right now, for the last 30 years, SunTrust, a banking building, has been the tallest building at 441 feet. And we received approval to become 444. So it's for 30 years, nobody's uh, uh, sort of passed the threshold of the city, but we will. Um, I did magic really when it comes to the land uh, because we had two different properties. The first, the owner of the property was very uh, relentless in selling it overpriced as in three times the market value. And I kept saying to him, I don't want to, I don't want to buy it. I want to lease it. I want to start with a lease. It doesn't mean I'm not going to buy it eventually, but I wanted to sort of release the economic burden from the front end so we can put that to construction. Uh, So, I knew that I had to go to a secondary property. So we found a second property by just searching. All I did was search through records and through aerials. And when I found something that seemed adequate, I literally reached out to the owner and said, it's not listed, but I want to get it. And this is what I want to do with it. Are you going to give it to me? And I spent six months um, back and forth with the owners until they had come to an agreement to the terms that I offered uh, (laughs) for the for the closing of the property. So a, a, a property that they also wanted to sell, but when I told them that my 100-year lease, if they were to keep it for 100 years, was 20 times their selling price, it didn't. It doesn't really take a genius to then go for the lease. Um, it, but again, I have a sort of first right of refusal on the purchase of the land. I want to maybe buy it, but I don't want to buy it in front of the construction is right. what I mean. Yes. Um, and that's going to be across every downtown that we visit. Um, so Vertical Medical City is not solely Orlando, but Orlando is the first of multiple. So we're going to build as many as we can, as fast as we can for my lifetime, because the truth of the matter is facilities to take care of the aging are short, inadequate at the moment, and construction is not going fast enough for the statistics. So I, I said to my team, I want it to be um, me in uh, us, really, that lead that market space when you look 20 years from now. Um, so um, we have a pretty strong timeline and in my timeline if we keep it we break ground by the summer that's soon yes that is soon <laughs> <laughs> so i have a lot of questions for you while you, while you're sitting here talking about this and this has all happened how long has this happened from from beginning so to where we are now from, from the the concept start to where we are it's been uh, over a year so about a year or a year and so two less months. less than 2 years less than 2 years yeah Okay, so so here's here I got a bunch of questions, and it, and and it's not about how it's being built or I want to know. If there's the things I wrote down here are are pushback. Are you getting any pushback from no. the people who are doing things the way they're doing them because they see the future is going to is going to undo what they're doing because that's what's going to happen when you start doing this and it's successful, yeah. and it's and the whole system is being rebuilt. Are you going to get? Are you experiencing any of that now? Okay. Yes, but no. And and I'll and I'll clarify. So there is two major hospital systems. One was my client. Both, I think, are still relentless in in thinking that we're not going to get this built. Like they they, they don't, just don't believe it. You. Yep. <laughs> you just don't believe it. Yeah. Um. 
one of them probably slightly more bitter than the other. And the thing that they failed to realize is even if I change the health system as we know it, we're not a hospital. We're a residential facility. So we, we've created Vertical Medical City. It's a, re, it's a complex mixed use, but it's not a hospital. It's not an emergency room. It's not a surgical facility. Yeah. It's none of those things. It's a complex mixed use. So even if they want to kill my project, really legally, what would be their grounds to kill my project if we are residential focused? Right. So that w- that's the answer to that. Yeah. Yes, they don't love it, but they don't. But we're not competition. With what I'm doing, I don't even require certificates um, of need or anything from the state, which is one of the things they require for everything that they do. Right, because you're building it as a residential development. Because it's it's a mixed use. It's yeah. like a residential office, except we're residential medical office. <laughs> My, my, my next question, and this is from the very beginning, even before we started talking, how does fear factor into all this? Because you are, you are pushing the limits of the world. You are, you are, yeah, and, and I know that, that you have ex- experience with the healthcare and that was motivation. And then you had that meeting and there was a man who sort of talked about how urgent this is and you were motivated by that. But this is huge of what you're doing here. Yeah. And, it's, and, it, and knowing you for all these years, this is going to happen. Does fear factor into this at all? Or you just sort of put that to the side and you just keep going forward? And what's motivating you to do that? Can I just say that, I, honest to you, honest to God, I am fearless. I've always been. I will always be. There's no fear in me about anything ever. I, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll take that back. You know, after we talked last, I started taking flying lessons because I wanted to fly my own baby food to places. I remember that. You have to listen to 189 to get that. So I was flying. And only fear set in when I started seeing the small planes crashing around me a lot. And I said, okay, I can't fly anymore. But it wasn't fear for myself as much as it was fear for my daughter. Um, But generally with the things that I do, there is no fear. I'm, I'm the person that even if I have the smallest, slightest of doubts, um, I, like you said, set them to the side. And if something goes unlike what I expected to go, then I adjust. I'm the adjuster. I'm the adjuster after the fact. I'm, I'm, and, and you can listen to the, the major um, leaders of any company or small companies, large companies, they will all tell you the same. If you're waiting for the time where you know it all, when you're ready, when you have it all, it is not coming. (laughs) That's not coming. Um, So I'm more of a, let's just do it and let's hope it works the way we expect it to go. And if it doesn't, then we'll adjust at the time. And that's how I operate about everything. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here. At Entree Architect, we could not be doing this Entree Architect podcast without them. They have been here supporting us week after week after week. And I want you to go support them because they support you and vice versa and all that good stuff. So go check them out. It's FreshBooks and RCAT. Do you remember when you started your small firm? It wasn't easy, right? It was no small feat. It took 
lots of late nights, early mornings, and the occasional all-nighter, maybe? Bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since launching. So why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like us, small firm owners. It's simple, it's intuitive, and it keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumpy, crumpled receipts. You know how it is, right? You know what you're doing. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster. You gotta love that, two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it free for 30 days. There's no catch. There's no credit card required. It's free for 30 days. Visit them today at entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section so they know that we sent you. It's what many of us small firm architects dread, editing down a manufacturer specification. It's, it, it just takes way too much time. You're staring down this 54 page specification and all you need is one product. And maybe, maybe some of its attributes, you just need that one thing and maybe they have they have like 10 different products but it's all in one specification there's a better way and it's not throwing that entire specification into your project documents it's rcat.com's spec wizard it's built for you the architect spec wizard is a unique tool that allows you to specify a product in minutes not hours minutes by turning a specification into a simple to use website just select the products and options you want to specify and generate a three-part CSI specification in multiple formats. And best of all, it's free. <laughs> Can you believe that? It's free. It requires no registration, no credit card. It's free. Visit entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. Save that URL to your favorites and then try the better way of specifying products. Spec Wizard by rcat.com. That's entrearchitect.com slash rcat, A-R-C-A-T. FreshBooks and RCAT. Thank you for being platform sponsors. Please visit them today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Have you always been that way? Do you know where that fearlessness comes from? Is it just... Is it upbringing? Is it is it some sort of spirituality, oh. or where does it come from? All is of it. it. It's genetic. It's my mother. It's the way I grew up. Is 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 everything together? Um, I wouldn't think if there's one source of that, but I, but I've always been this way. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's fascinating to watch you, because <laughs> you know I think many of us have big ideas and big plans. I mean, I have huge plans, um, yeah. and fear gets in the way all the time. You know, but it you constantly. Can't do you can't do, you have to say that, I mean, what is the fear? You should be fear, you should be fear, you should be fearing death. I mean, that's really, and even then you shouldn't fear it. Cause that needs to, I mean, that I want to change culturally that people are fearful of death, but, um, 
but that is really the only end to anything is death. Um, I would say that instead of afraid or instead of fear, you you simply, and this is how I do it, break it down. Like what has to happen for the next thing to happen? Um, I break it down a lot of times in writing. Um, if in, And I try to meet my own deadlines. And it, it, everything's just about exceeding my own expectations because I really don't put those out there for anybody else except me. Right. Um, and and I just, I there's no fear because, I mean – what are people's basic fears? Their children not having food to eat, not having a house. I mean, if you don't have a house, you go rent. If you don't have any food, you go work in a restaurant and wash dishes and they feed you. I mean, to me, there's fear is, is not a thing that it shouldn't be there because I maybe it's just Tabitha, but I can give you a, I can give you the answer to all your fears. Like I can actually give you an, an outset or an outcome beyond it. So maybe because I'm that person, I don't know. So, so what what keeps you motivated? I mean, this is a huge this is a huge thing that you're that you're doing, I and would, you I just and you just keep going. <laughs> say that again. Same bigger than the school is this one, uh, which is surprising to me because I was trying to stay away from the bigness, but it's almost like I can't. Um, well, this is way bigger than the school. Yeah. Just very 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 briefly explain what that means because people are like, what are you talking about? So there was a time where Mark knew the early Tabitha that was trying to start a college. And I guess if you go to episode 189, you'll hear more about it. So the school was about teaching people to do what I do and how I do it, the way that I do it. But that architecture and building construction and materializing infrastructure in cities is, is so much bigger than a design task or an engineering task or a materials methods task. I mean, to me, it's so much bigger than that that I wanted to teach people that. Uh, but the school, you know, just like you you asked me about pushback, uh, the system, as in architecture, engineering, construction, don't really want that change because, because all I did was drive against it. And so it, it's what got me sick, actually, or what started getting me sick. Yeah. So this is different, okay? And that vertical medical city is so needed that the thing is, I'm like running after it. Like the right. thing is running and I'm running after it. I think that if, if we don't build this, somebody else is going to go build it. Like we have this team, I've put this team structured and things just, just happen and the project just moves. I mean, and it's, in that sense, it's completely different and you're right. So much bigger. It's so much broader. I do have, I mean, if you if you were inside my office now, you'd see that I have a, a world map with with all the places that we're going because Orlando is number one. Right. And we do intend to build in Chicago still. I had a closing deal for a property in the loop in Chicago for this, but I've, I've opted to um, go bigger. <laughs> <laughs> bigger than the loop in Chicago. Well, I want to match the density of the city. The Loop in Chicago, this was a great location, but it was a very small footprint. Yeah. And it wasn't going to let me sort of make a dent on the actual city. Yeah. So I want to go into a much bigger property to to do a much more dense project, basically. And we're also, we know already that we're going out of the country into Osaka, Japan, that we're going to go to London. Um, really everywhere in the world, this project is needed in every major metropolitan area, but I, I'm sure I'm not going to be able to build every one in my lifetime. But if I can accomplish, you know, 10 or 15 
then I'll feel like I got somewhere. What are your plans for the future? I mean, obviously you just said you're going to build um, Orlando. Orlando is going to be the model. And then you're going to start rolling these out across the world. Yes. What is your, your plans for the future of Ponte Health? That, that if you can build 10 of these and you, it outlasts you and it outlives you, do you have plans for how it continues beyond you? Not yet, because I'm 38 this month. <laughs> and I'm only about to turn 38, so I have a long way what, to go up. What day? What day? The 21st. Oh, I'm the 25th. Oh, my goodness. See? Yep. See Four days. Both? I yep. know. Aquarius. We're awesome. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so I don't have a plan beyond me at this point, but I will have it. Because yeah. the truth is, is that I see Ponte Health as sort of uh, uh, um, undivisible from healthcare. Period. Yeah. But but it's not. But, but again, it's infrastructure based. So it's such a complicated thing to explain. It is not that I'm going to be healthcare without the infrastructure, or that I'm going to be the infrastructure without the care. Yeah, it's just all integrated. It is all of it. Yes. Yeah. Do you, do you also, and I'm, I'm, this is probably unnecessary to ask, but do you have plans to, to also deal with the, the cost of healthcare and how that's, how that's handled? Funny you asked. Yes. But for now, my plans are, I wouldn't call them too basic, but, but they're basic, at least at the moment from what I've seen. So for example, at vertical medical city, assisted living, memory care is very expensive. I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to do and uh, to visit or inquire about an ALF and memory care, but I can tell you that they go anywhere from seven thousand to fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars a month out of pocket. That is insane. Okay, so that to me that's insane. Five, six, seven times the average cost of a a, a rental property, like yeah. a rental apartment. So it's, it's really crazy. And I know that they need the care, so they have nurses and they have food and they have things that add to the cost. But I still think it's it's sort of unreasonably high. So what's happening is the people that are building a left to memory care are doing it for exploitation of that real estate rental. So part of us going density or high rise and it fitting the that model that concept model that we had is that because we're dense we can start to lower those costs significantly so what we have projected now is even though we're opening into the future we still have a, a cost rental that is like 30 percent of the market 30 40 percent and that's because of the high density mm-hmm. that's because of the high-rise construction that's because we have rentals on the property they're not residential um, and other things so um how do we control costs even further is things that I've thought about. So even though we'll be at 30, 40% of the market, I still want to not only inject that with lots of programming and uh, in health services, period. So like, <clears throat> for example, our vertical medical city residents in light assisted living will get an annual full workup on us as part of their rents. But one of the things that I want to do is set up the building on blockchain technologies and data, like sort of high speed data stuff, and that um, I'm further offsetting people's costs based on them sharing their own data, which in turn now, even though I'm manipulating, say, through the infrastructure that they actually own, therefore it's offsetting their costs. So I have this economic model in my head. Mm-hmm. It's mostly in my head at this point in time, but... Uh, but that we're going to carry out in this in these buildings, 
Um, so I think inherently um, the the goal anyway is to um, create by volume this new type of resident that is going to re- like demand things the way that we're setting them up. Um, but by that time, then I think I don't want to call it a monopoly, but but these exploitations of ALF and memory care will end. If that makes any sense. Yeah, because you're basically looking at this as a fully self-sustaining system. Yes. Right? That when somebody moves in here, the exterior healthcare system doesn't exist anymore because everything they have and everything they need and the way it's paid for and the way they live is all integrated into this entire system from from beginning to end. For the most part, that is true, minus the surgical component. Mm -hmm. So I have to partner with a surgical facility um, or they can take that as an independent type facility. But if they were to need any sort of surgery that is major surgery, then they would have to step away from. But but that could be the case only for the first location for all. That's what I was going to ask. Is it it, it, it just makes sense that you just create another piece to the system? that does that on an external basis, but you own it and it becomes part of this and overall it could, system. That, that could be the case. I mean, we, we, um, like I mentioned, are the, the developer part designer, but we're the operator. So I have created already some structures where we operate some medical portions and Ponte Health owns them. For example, um, we have a partnership with an emergency physician where we part own the urgent care that will be on property, but the urgent care is not an emergency room. It's more your walking urgent care right. clinics that cannot do major surgery, but they can do small diagnostics and small testing and then refer you to surgery should you really need it. Um, so we have one of those, but but anything that needs a certificate of need from the state, we're currently, at least at this point in time, yeah. staying away from. Strategically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is so interesting. And we could talk for another two hours uh, because you and I are, you know, I, I want to know everything you're doing. And I'm so inspired by what you're doing. Um, I'm motivated by what you're doing. Um, and Thank you. We, can, Thank we, we could keep going for, for hours. But um, I want, I want, and I will bring you back as you move along and as things develop. I want to definitely follow your story and bring it back to the Entree Architect community. Um, but I wanted to ask you before we wrap up, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow. Uh, And I I think I mentioned it. It, I'm a firm believer on writing down tasks. So I think if you can create a list of tasks every day and you'll learn to gauge what is appropriate in the day-to-day versus weekly versus monthly, but you have to check them off. If you can do that, I think it makes for uh, great progress. But, 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 don't do it one time. It's not like a New Year's resolution. It's like a constant task um, creation. And by task, I don't mean like CDs in a certain phase or percent complete. I mean, literal task of building the life in the firm that you want. Like, yeah. what is it that you want? And sometimes what you want uh, changes over time. I mean, look, again, look at me. I, I College construction, development, uh, a health system. I mean, I would have never known that if I wasn't the person that was perpetually seeking um, the best of my life. Very, very good. And so just take one step at a time, decide what that, decide what you want your life to be, 
break it down into smaller pieces and then go after them one at a time and just yes. just accomplish one at a time and you'll find up find that you're you end up where you want to be yes and and listen to the world like don't, don't just do that and and omit call them signs god you know whatever you want to call it inspiration the world talks to you so if you listen okay your tasks will align with that best life and that best burn and and if when you do th- those two things you're in what people call an alignment and enlightenment and that is how you get there i agree and it, it, i mean really that's that's how I ended up where I am now with Entree Architect. That's how Entree Architect has grown. It's just m- me following the path. There's there's I just keep going to the next step. I see something over there and I just and I have a big idea and a big plan, but I just keep following the path that I think I should be on and I I keep ending up where I am. <laughs> you know, wherever I turn around, there I am. Yes, and it's it's not a it's not a it's not overnight either right uh, which i i'm i have to constantly remind people you don't wake up one day and say this is what i want and then you have that a month from now no it's like persistent relentless long-term strategic commitment and learning and reading and writing and following tasks yeah long term yeah. <laughs> it takes patience. And and I hope I hope a lot of our, our younger listeners are listening to that as well because I find that a lot of the younger listeners that that are in our community and I was like this too. I wanted it right now. You know, I'm working so hard, I should have this right now. And as I've gotten older, I realized that this is a this is a lifetime journey. That that what I'm building is going to far outweigh me, far outlast me, and my job is to just build it. So it can t- be taken beyond me. If I yes. don't build it, then there's nothing there for someone else to take on and continue. Because yes. um, I want to do to the architecture world, the architecture profession, what you're doing to the healthcare profession. I want to completely change the way we're practicing architecture at, at the small firm level. And I have very big plans, very, and probably, I would say maybe at the same level as your plans uh, that I haven't talked about, that I haven't revealed there's what a are lo- you feeling them? There's a lot of fear involved in all that of that. 2019? Forget the fear. <laughs> I know. I know. What that's like. <laughs> I'll talk about them. I will talk about them soon. I need to sort of solidify them and uh, <laughs> before I announce them. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting to to be to have um, a purpose like that. You have a purpose. You know that purpose. You are pursuing that purpose every day. I feel the same way. I have a purpose. I've been here, I've been put here to do what I'm doing and I'm just continuing to move forward to make it happen. And so, uh, I love talking to you. It opens that up inside of me and gets me motivated and gets me excited. Uh, so thanks for spending about an hour with me here and, and, uh, sharing your story. We can't wait to, to hear the next step in this. So, uh, I wish you all the best. Oh, and, thank you. And, uh, it's exciting to watch you. Thank you for, for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Before we go, where is the best place for people to sort of follow what you're doing? Is there a website or social media? What, what, where should people go to thank you for sharing today and for following your, your progress? Yes, so uh, Ponta Health is basically Ponta Health, P-O-N-T-E, health across everything. So pontahealth.com and then every social media, with the exception of Instagram, which I believe I had to put the PA at the end, Ponta Health PA, because Instagram stole my first account. (laughs) They (laughs) shut it down. I don't know why. Um, And then uh, we, 
um, if you want to follow the project specifically, so we have project specific social media and locations. So it's Vertical Medical City. There's a lot of content online and um, about the progress of it as a project and us as leading the project and owning the project. And then uh, for Vertical Medical City, Orlando specifically, there's VMC ORL. So I'm matching VMC to the basically airport code or so. So VMC ORL is on Twitter and Instagram, though not a lot, and on Facebook and stuff like that. So there, there's the Ponta Health, the parent company, and then project-specific Vertical Medical City. And as you know, I love disaster babies, so I'm trying to work on that. And then, um, and then that's it. I mean, we, you know, people are welcome to visit the office. We're in Orlando uh, by appointment only, by the way. And then, um, and then uh, I do intend to open other locations, but have not been able to successfully do it. Chicago being the first, but I haven't. We haven't made it there yet. And um, that's it. I, I wish I could have a podcast. I think about a podcast all the time with what I'm doing. With, but with, I, with all the extra time you have? Well, not for that, but I think sometimes like, I'm wondering if people would listen to, say, the development of Vertical Medical City on YouTube or on a podcast. But but I really – I can't – like, I just can't. Like, with I have, like, five full-time jobs just yep. trying to develop that building. I it's, think it's, I think a YouTube channel to follow the progress of Vertical, uh, Vertical Medical City would be fascinating. I think that people will would blow it up. And here's what I think. If there's anybody who's listening who wants to do that for Tabitha, where Tabitha, they just follow you around, they record what you're doing, they edit it, they publish it, you own it, Tabitha. If anybody's interested in doing that, reach out to Tabitha that and talk to her about so it. That would be so much fun. I would love that. I would love that. I really can't do it, but I think about it all the time. I know that we're going to have uh, construction cameras, multiples for 24-7, like some people do, but I'm going to actually publicly feed them online. Um, and then, um, I don't know if you know, but artificial intelligence is a big part of this building. So facial recognition is a technology that's going into the building. I mean, it really, when you, when you think about buildings and movies, when they're really far advanced, that's what the, this project is. Yeah. I, I think the, the, the videos, the a YouTube channel to follow that progress is not only important for the marketing of it, I think it's important for the documentation of it because you are changing the world. You're changing the world of healthcare dr- dramatically. And by having somebody follow that and document that process, and it doesn't have to be like documentation, sort of, you know, a documentary, it's a YouTube channel. You know, it's a, it's a vlog that follows you around and, fo- and follows your progress documenting what you're doing. Because someday people are going to want to know how you started this. And if you have a full video archive of how this happened, and how you got to where you are when you have 50 of these across the world, it's going to be really valuable to the world. That would be so much fun. Yes, if somebody's listening that wants to do it. <laughs> reach out. Reach out to Tabitha on, at, at PonteHealth.com. And, uh, and uh, I think, you know, it, I think that'd be fascinating. I'd, I'd subscribe. I watch every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> All right, Tabitha, thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for sharing and being so transparent. And uh, like I said, it's always motivational and inspirational to listen to you. So thanks for, well, for hanging thank out with you, us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. And, and everybody have a great year. Make it the best year. So there you go. That That is absolutely 
an episode to share with a friend. This is episode 253, so it's entrearchitect.com slash episode 253. That is the link to share. Please share it with a friend so the world can hear Tabitha's story. What an inspirational story. Tabitha is so inspirational. Every time we talk, I am so motivated to keep building Entre Architect into the movement where every small firm architect can do their part to change the world by building strong, thriving businesses. I am so pumped, so motivated to do this every time I speak with with Tabitha. Every project we complete as architects helps to change the world. There are few professions. There are there are there are no are there any professions that can make that claim? We as architects change the world with every project we do. But we can't do it. We can't have the impact without building a strong foundation without building a thriving, profitable business that will allow us to focus on the work that we love and the people that we want to influence. So let's do this. Let's build profitable businesses together. I will show you how. Just register now for the Entree Architect Profit Checklist. It is a free live webinar that I'm hosting on January 22nd, 2018. And it's not too late to prepare your firm for profit this year. Join me and I'll show you the six essential elements of a proven financial management system for small firm architects. It's free. Just go visit entrearchitect.com slash free webinar for more information and to register now. That's entrearchitect.com slash free webinar. Go there now, register, and I'll see you on January 22nd. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share, Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? 
<laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.